I wouldn't just be the last woman standing. I'd usually be the last person standing. And I was sort of, I used that in my career to become the sort of girl about town. I'd take these quite awful things that scrapes I would get into. Some pretty kind of seedy things and found myself in really precarious, dangerous situations. And I turned them into funny stories and write about them in my column at The Telegraph. And I was always in fear that I was going to get found out because of that as well. Like, if people knew the real Briny, if they knew what I got up to when late at night when I wasn't in the office or when I left the pub and the depths that I went to in my head, then I was almost certainly going to lose my job. I'm Mary Portis. I'm Emily Bryce Perkins. And our guest this week is Bryony Gordon. And we'll hear from her a little bit later in the show. Um, I thought we should start, Mary, by having a bit of a reflective moment. This is the final episode of the first series. So what do you think we've learned? We've met some brilliant women along the way and one excellent man, Roger Whiteside. What do you think we've learned overall? Oh, I think for me, the biggest, biggest value that's come out of all this, the message is be who you are. Mm. And... I think there's been so many brilliant people that I've I've learned from on why we suppress who we are, who we truly are, because we just don't think we're good enough. We just yeah. don't. And when you are true to yourself, even your vulnerable flaws is where the power is. And I think each and every one of them, from Elizabeth talking about failure, but the failure is what made her, is how she grew. From Viv sort of being the person she thought her parents wanted her to be, yeah. the bright academic, of course you can't be a comedian, that's ridiculous, you've got to go down into one of these big jobs, and then she suddenly decides in her late 30s, <laughs> I can do that. And I suppose for me the message is to everybody, you don't need to leave it that long. And even if you do leave it that long, there's still joy when you discover the real you. That's what's just so exciting. And I am like, you know, looking down the barrel at 60 and I'm thinking, I've still got much to discover. It still excites me. So I'm 34. And when I was going into the world... Is that all you are? I had you turned for about 54. Oh, I'm so sorry. She's so mean. Um, when, <laughs> how long have I been working? About 15 years, I guess, the world yeah. of work. There was nothing like this. If I'd had a podcast or even just the, you know, the, the books that these women have written, that you've written, I think that would have helped me so much. Like, I just think I'm so thankful that we now have this, that this dialogue and this narrative is happening. Mm. It's so good for the younger women coming mm. up. And I know that we are already having an effect and that makes me so happy. And the older, I mean, so many and women the older have written women, yeah. in and said... I just made a decision to change now. I'm yeah. not gonna. I'm just not gonna have this suppressed feeling anymore. This feeling that I'm just not good enough, or I'm not right for this job, or they don't rate me. I'm just gonna move on from here. I am right. My feeling, my instinct's right. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna listen to it. I think instinct has come out as well, hasn't it? I mean, yeah. that's what we learned with Roger, yeah. especially. He's a man that didn't like. You know, doesn't read business books. Doesn't um, go on about everything that he does are kind of inside out he just sort of he just sort of knew he just feels it and what I was love interesting that. on him though was that he was he knew that he was a man and that he'd had a quite a nice life in business mm. by being a man there mm. wasn't those huge struggles but he was able to see where the struggles were yeah and because he was a decent human being who used instincts and really simple moral values to guide him through business he ended up managing a business that has 
that all the way through its DNA and therefore that comes across to the people who shop with it because you know when you're buying into something good and I think that's what we're going to see in the future we're going to see businesses that are going to be based on just decent moral behaviours they don't have to be saving the world or putting out these false claims but I think we're going to be buying in the future and thinking about where we buy and who we buy with one thing for me is um, confidence and I think I'm someone you know people always assume that I'm confident and we, we talk about that with Bryony around the fact that you know confidence is a trick so I'm looking forward to hearing about that is it a trick with you by the way with me it's more like you know smile therapy if you smile you, you kind of naturally become a bit happier. And I think if you walk, if I walk into a room acting confident, I'm going to have a much better time in that room and a much better response from people. True. So even if I'm not feeling it necessarily, I'm helping myself by projecting a certain way. And I think that's, that's just always been my trick. It's interesting, I'm going to go on this, because it is interesting, because when there's been times when I've said to you, this hasn't happened or we haven't had that, you'd always give me a smile back, even though it could be really terrible. <laughs> But you do. I do. And I love that. And I and you go, yeah, no, but it's being dealt with or whatever. And you'd sweep it. And it might not be being dealt with, but you've swung underneath it. It's never it. being dealt with. I know. No, Abby, my PA, does the same. She goes, it's being sorted. And I'm I just joking. go, okay, that's... No, it's true. No, but... No, but you do do that. You I don't do, go yeah. You don't go into the... <gasps> it's wasted energy. So, Mary Portas, series two. How are we going to up our game? Uh, well, I'd like to hear from some older women and yes. how they've changed. I think that's really important. I'd also like to hear from young 20-somethings going straight out to the workplace because so many of us think that my generation is the dinosaurs of businesses, but there's still some young upstart businesses that are behaving like dinosaurs. Yes. So I want to, to get to the bottom of that. I'd also like to hear from some people, the amount of people I'd like to read out more of what we've know, had, the yeah. feedback, because there's some incredible stories that people are writing to us. Like we just, we, we have a backlog on all social media of people saying help, or I want to tell you my story. And I just thought give, you know, like I give a little chat on some of my great heroes. I'd love to give a little, you know, yeah. oversight on some of those that are coming in. Anything else you feel? Um, some more men, because I think, what we yeah, realise, yeah, yeah. and especially you've done a few talks. You're such a the... dirty girl, aren't you? That's all you care <laughs> men, about is men, 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 men. Some more men. Did you hear the preview? <laughs> <laughs> I was twirling my hair. Yeah. <laughs> she really was. So please get in touch with us. We want to hear your stories. Good, the bad, the ugly, things you've achieved, things that you've failed at, things that you're concerned at. And we might find people who can give answers. I'll try my best, Emily will also try her best but I'll also think we could put it out to some great women in, in business so Emily where can everybody get in touch to they can email worklikeawoman at portasagency.com also if you're going to find it difficult to write a long email do a voice memo tell us a story live that'll be even more exciting exactly that's worklikeawoman at portasagency.com do you have any news no do you have any news no <laughs> We'll get to the Briony interview after this short message. This episode of Work Like a Woman is sponsored by Nat West. To help more women in the UK start their own business so that they can work like a woman, NatWest have launched a new crowdfunding programme called Back Her Business. They'll help you raise money for your business through crowdfunding and offer free coaching, mentoring and opportunities to meet like-minded women with the possibility of up to £5,000 in grant funding. To find out more, including what type of projects are eligible, search NatWest Back Her Business. And now, here's Bryony. I guess I spent my career waiting to be found out, not just in that kind of imposter syndrome way that we all have, which is, 
they're going to realise I'm terrible at this and replace me. But also I was waiting to be found out for who I really was, who was this basically alcoholic addict who was somehow keeping going and getting up to all sorts of what I considered to be shameful things. I was eaten alive by shame. And I got into some real scrapes and did some pretty kind of seedy things and found myself in really precarious, dangerous situations, you know, sort of sexual situations. I had desperately had to write about the shame in my head and the stuff in my head and the obsessive compulsive disorder that I had, which is very different to the kind of common perceptions of OCD. It's a type called pure O. So to give a kind of quick summary of that, I describe OCD as being your brain refusing to acknowledge what your eyes can see. So be it that your hands are clean or that the iron is off or that the oven is off or or that you haven't just run over a child and it's a speed bump. And Puro is all to do with thoughts. So we all have intrusive thoughts. We all have billions of thoughts every day. We are not our thoughts and we have intrusive thoughts. And what if I, someone hands you their baby? What if I just threw the baby on the floor? You know, that kind of thing. But most of us accept that those, are not, we wouldn't do them. That's just the randomness of the brain and we dismiss them. But someone with pure O becomes very tortured by them ruminates to check that they are not their thoughts. So I, from the age of 12, thought I was a serial killing paedophile at times. Pretty dark. And when I had my daughter, I guess I was so kind of caught up in the melee of bringing up a small child that it sort of got pushed to one side, but then it came and I had terrible thoughts. I might have hurt her and blanked out in shock. And at that point, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I knew intellectually that there were other people out there like me who had this form of OCD, but I'd never met anyone. <laughs> well, I probably have met someone, but never anyone that identified as someone with pure O. And... Um, so I used my work and I just wrote about it. And as a result of that one column, I've sort of become this accidental mental health campaigner. So my vulnerability and the, all the things I feared were going to destroy my career have weirdly actually become my career, which is kind of it takes a lot of like my head getting round. But it's extraordinary that, isn't it? I mean, that's one of the most powerful messages I think I've ever heard. And what a long, huge, huge, painful journey you've been on to get to that. But actually, what was your vulnerability? What you saw as essentially what was probably going to kill you had you not dealt with it and mm. come out with this has become your power. Mm. And so many of us just don't don't want to go near the vulnerable things because no. of shame mm. and because of the social codes that have been put around us and telling us mm. implicitly and sometimes explicitly you don't go there or don't admit your weaknesses mm. and yet you did yeah can i ask a couple of things at uh, one did your husband know that you were suffering so badly yes yes did there was that a contention was it i can't live like this anymore because no, that's pretty he, full on to live with he he well he like a lot of people who live with people with quite severe mental illness had to sort of just adapt to it and I think he just wanted he was he is amazing and lovely and very patient and caring but you know of course there were times when it was like well you, you can't you can't this this can't and sometimes we get little reminders now of what it used to be like and go oh my god life is so much better now 
you know, I used to be asking him the whole time, do you think that I might have, last night, um, do you think I might have done something to my daughter, you know, after you went to bed and I was, I'd had a few too many glasses of wine and I was drunk and he'd be, can you imagine hearing that from your wife? And of course, he knew, <laughs> the irony of people with this type of OCD is that they're probably the least likely people to do, to something. do the things. Because I guess most serial <laughs> killing paedophiles don't turn around to their partners and, and say, be like, you know, <laughs> unless they're calling their bluff, of course. And what about your work? Did anybody at work, didn't your editors go, Bryony, these these people would have seen you working. They'd have seen you out in the bars. I think I was I think I was a really good actor. I think a lot of alcoholics and addicts are, you know, we have this notion of alcoholism as someone slumped on a bench and or drugs. Yeah, or someone yeah, with a needle in, the, yeah. in that. And and actually I was I was really good at normalizing it. You know, I'm I, I in a way I made a career out of it because I would write these kind of ha 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 this hilarious thing happened to me and everyone would go, God, I live my life vicariously through you, Briny and I'd be like, Phew, got away with that one for another day. So I don't I think people were genuinely when I sort of came out with the with the whole truth, I think like even friends from school sort of a, a friend of mine I remember when I wrote my book Mad Girl about my mental illness a friend a, like really good friend of mine who I've known since I was a child sent me a letter going I had no idea that this was what you were going through and I'm so sorry I didn't and I was like you don't have to apologise you know that's the culture we we have lived in for a long time and and on that how could you I mean looking at it you know as me as a you know mother of three children and you know two boys and a, and a girl what do you think your mother could have done in those instances I don't think she or what could she have seen or you know that any w- woman listening now would go gosh that, that I should maybe watch out for this a little well, bit well I it's funny because I um, can I plug my book of course you can <laughs> of course you can so Brownie's book is called you got this <laughs> and it's it's basically a mental health book for young women and um it was all it's all the things that I so that when after I got sober my mum also was like what could I have done and I'm like you couldn't have done anything different like this is this was the world we lived we grew up in the you know, no one spoke about mental illness no you know until really quite recently yeah. I uh, reckon only in maybe we could say the last 10 years but the last five five, five. yeah last five yeah and we we take for granted Stephen what, Fry went on about it for a while bless him he was me. Stephen Fry was and first. Ruby Wax were like the yeah. trailblazers yeah. and we must never forget that yeah we won't but Ruby, they, Stephen, thank you. <laughs> you crazy couple of people. They're wonderful. <laughs> yeah. But what I do, what I have learnt since, quote unquote, coming out about my mental illness, and then subsequently realising that I, I drank, you know, I used alcohol and drugs as a coping mechanism, so then going to rehab, getting sober. I, I, last year, I was coming up for about a year sober, and I was like, I've got to write down all of the things that I've learned in the last couple of years. I've been privileged enough to learn through being immersed in the mental health community. All the things I wish someone had told me at 12 that I'm only really finding out now at 38. All parents do their best with what they're working with. So, you know, I could talk about all the things she could have done differently. But if I'm talking to mums now who have young yeah. children that they're worried about, not just women, like sometimes when I go and do these talks, I remember once this woman stood up and she said, my daughter claims to be depressed and I think she's just attention seeking. Claims. And I said, well, give her some attention then. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, totally. I think we need to listen to our kids and make them feel heard. And and that's not a revolutionary thing. You know, people, there are people with far more far more degrees in psychology than me who 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 will tell you that. But also, I think that with teenagers, it's very tempting to dismiss what they're going through as a phase. Mm. And the irony is, is that had my OCD not been dismissed as a phase, it could have been just that. 
all mental illnesses are incredibly treatable, just as all physical illnesses, most physical illnesses are. So if one of us is to get a diagnosis of diabetes type 2 today, we take our medication, we do exercise, we eat well, we'll probably live very long and healthy, happy lives. If we don't, if we carry on eating badly, don't move, we'll probably end up getting our foot amputated. And it's the same sort of uh, prognosis with a mental illness. So if you catch them, you know, it may take a while. I'm not saying you, you know, it's not, it's not like, oh, right, okay, well, you know, and, and now you're cured. That's not the way, but you don't go on as I did to become like a sort of a magnet picking up metal shavings or a snowball and, you know, out, so alcoholism and addiction and all sorts of other things became part of my story. I'm thinking about this, I was thinking about, you know, we're, we're talking about, and of course, you know, I asked your mother the question, what did your mother do? I didn't ask what your father did, which, uh, you know, instantly. <laughs> nothing, instantly, you did nothing, Mary. Well, well, you know, I had one of those. <laughs> um, instantly, that's just, yeah. you know, throw me into... Well, I, I lost my mother when I was 16 and I remember getting in the car with my father to go off and sort out the funeral and he started crying. I said, oh, Daddy, you don't cry, you know, I'm crying. And he said, well, but I'm only 54. What's going to happen to my life? And I'm like, yeah, I'm 16. Yeah. You know, and I just saw that slight difference between what my mother might have said had he died versus what he would, but we won't go on to that anyway. Um, I suppose what I was... I do, I'm really fascinated. Well, I am fascinated because we have to take, you know, where this caring role always falls onto mm. the women's shoulders. And it's also why I wrote Work Like a Woman that I believe there's enormous power in caring. Mm. I think there is huge strength in saying, I am going to give myself over mm -hmm. to you. I am going to use all that I have to care for you. And that I found a very, well, for me, I cared for my brother when he was 14. And actually from that, I learned so much to how to look a look after someone else and not just myself but the power that is within caring it's mm. it's a very embracing but powerful position which is what i believe it should be in business and i suppose the other thing that i was going to ask you and why i asked you about business is i remember vividly having a young guy in my agency who wasn't performing Mm. What would you be saying to business owners or bosses? You know, it doesn't even have to be the person at the top who's maybe got a team of two or three. Yeah. What would you be saying to them about this? Um, well, I think I do I encounter quite a lot with corporates who kind of want you to go in and do a chat about that, about mental health to kind of tick a box. During done that, done that. Mental yes, health awareness nice. week. Gays next week. Gays next week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mental like, health, alcohol, it's gays. What it, else it, can we get in yeah. on this diversity it talk? It has to be, it has to go deeper than that, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, mental health first aiders are really important. What know? are they? What do they do? So they are able to help somewhat. Yeah. So they'd be able to pinpoint that bloke you're talking about yeah. perhaps could have gone to a mental health first aider and said, yes. I'm in crisis. Can, you, can I talk yes. to you? So those are becoming... Like, you can go on a course, can't you? You can, yeah. yeah. We're sending some of our people on a course, actually, Mary. I thought you'd like to know that. Good time to tell you. <laughs> yeah, good. But we I are. think the other thing is, well, we have buddies, people who are not yeah, in your yeah. department, but they just become the person that you can chat to about anything mm. that's happening in your life. Yeah, so a and great I, thing. I think that's really important. I think it's just you've got to kind of like live the you know live live a sort live that kind of mantra of it's okay to talk to me and also to know if you're a bit reticent to kind of um help people that have mental illness and think oh they're you know and if you still are stuck in that slightly that view that's you know attached to stigma which which is not something to be ashamed of where i think a lot of people think that people that are depressed or 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 suffering from mental illness are not as going to you know that that they're weak 
get rid of them um which is not true but it's also don't like accept that that's part of the stigma and you know try and work through that yourself you know kind of be open to having chats and reading up about it and being an ally and all of that because it's, it's the number one is disability. It, disability yeah. in this country. Well, this has to be but also, something that we tackle. It's if crazy. We talk, right? If we talk about it on a pu- if you want to go to like the city bosses who are like, I just want to make money, or say, yeah. well, listen, here's here's the. It makes absolutely no financial sense to ignore mental illness because, yeah. and you know, I, I kind of want to say this to the government as well. Our prisons are full of people that didn't get proper mental health care as children. You know, obesity to me is as much a mental health crisis as it is a physical one. Because overeating is a kind of addiction thing. Right. So there's all these kind of things. You get the good mental health right and it trickles out in so many areas. And I would much rather if I was a boss, I'm not a boss, I don't have any employees. And I I know this as someone, you know, I often have to say to my editors at The Telegraph, I need to have this week's column off. And they'd much rather I did that and had one week off than have a breakdown and have three months. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It, it makes it makes no sense to not be addressing it. I was with um, one of my daughter's friends last night. I was just going to work and um, they've been putting in the hours, like, you know, high, bright kids, gone in highly paid jobs, but there are like, you know, when you worked at the hours they're putting in, they're being paid less than the mm. actual you know, minimum wage. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But they think, oh, I'm in one of these big corporations and we've got to work all weekend. And, and this kid was absolutely exhausted. So she sent a text to her boss saying, listen, I'm going to go home at 5.30 today and take some rest because I've worked all the bank holiday, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'll be available from 7.30 tomorrow. I hope that's okay with you, but I'm absolutely just done, you know, in the, in the nicest possible way. And the text that came back said, no, this isn't acceptable. I need you on hours. If you haven't got the energy for it, then we'll have to talk about this. This is today in 2019 young bosses, millennials mm. we're talking about. And we think we've moved on. And I really, really know for a fact it's that we have kind of like Silicon Valley Lean in, in, Cheryl, lean come in. on. Lean no, in. I, I am like, lean out. out lean the fuck le- out. Le- like, actually, I spent my whole career saying yes to everything. Everything, everything. Yes, yes, I'll do that. I'll do that. Out of fear. Because if I didn't say yes, I would be replaced. I'd be sacked. I would be... And actually... So we talk about the power of saying yes to everything and being there and turning up. But for me, I've learned there's a huge power in saying no. Absolutely. And just going, actually, no, I'm not going to do this. Absolutely. I'm putting a boundary down. And I think that company, you know, I hear sometimes of small businesses who say, right, we don't want you checking your email at the weekend. Do you know what I mean? And I and I think we all need to start. I'm pretty sure we're going to look back at this time as like the wild west of technology and go, I can't believe we didn't have boundaries, that we were checking our emails all day, all night. You know, I hear about people that are like, I'm switching my phone on at 8am and I switch it off at 8pm. And that's that. Yeah, we have in our office that we don't send emails over the weekend or if you need to, it's going to be something that's got nice news in it. Yeah. Or if you really do need to speak, you have to send a little text first and just say, but it's not a problem because nobody wants that on the no, weekends. But I thought I was... To the, the extent they don't read really anything sometimes. And if I am trying to get through, <laughs> saying, oh, you might be stopped, but I'm having to do an interview. Or, hello, hello, oh, no I response. Had this, I had this moment. We went on holiday a couple of weeks ago, right? And I was looking at my phone, I checked my email, and I, I worked myself up into a blind, 
mind fury that people were emailing me while I was on holiday. Like, how are they... Like, they don't have access to my diary, these people. They're just getting on with their lives. Do you know what I mean? Doing what they have to do. And I was like, here's the thing, Bridie. Why don't you just not check your email while you're on holiday? And then you won't spend half an hour of this lovely sunny day in the Caribbean in a rage. And I was True. like, oh, there's a, there's well a novel done. idea. Don't the power of, the, <laughs> the power of out of office as well. Literally, if I have... <clears throat> I permanently have an out of office. On my and yours own. is very polite. Yes, it's like, I'm really sorry, but this inbox is totally unmanageable <laughs> and I, I've got better things to be doing than checking it. If you need Good if girl. you need this, check, get in touch with this yeah. person, this person. I think it's, you know, it's about... It, the world is not going to end if I don't check my email on a Saturday morning. It's just not. Or if but I don't check it for you, a week. You, you realise how invidious is it, how much it takes of your life. And I, you know, I remember going on a holiday and having to, you know ring home from a phone box because there was nothing else and you'd only do that once every like 10 days oh I better ring home now like can you even imagine yeah. but the freedom in that the freedom in knowing it's a bit like when it's Christmas you know everybody start working there's a beautiful freedom mm. and you don't quite know what day it is or where you park the car or am I allowed to park it on a yellow line is it what day it's a beautiful space yeah. that we need more of Brian you ran the, the marathon in your brown knickers I did yeah can you tell me why? <laughs> she's not. She's wearing more clothes today. I just I point am, that well, out. Well, not that she's many. Not that so I ran it. I ran it in 2017 with clothes on. But um, why did you run it first of all? So I signed up to do it. It's a bit of a long, complicated story that involves ro- members of the royal family. But so I got invited to the launch of this charity called Heads Together, which is the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and Prince Harry's mental health charity. And this was in. This was three years ago. I got invited as someone who had who was writing about their mental health. I was introduced to the Duchess of Cambridge. She was telling me how Heads Together was going to be the official charity of the London Marathon in 2017. And I said to her, were you running it? And she was like, oh, no, it's a bit tough security-wise because it's obviously difficult yeah, yeah, to yeah, secure 26.2 miles. That's my excuse. But I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, excuses, excuses. If I can run a marathon, anyone can. And I was like, I don't know why I just said that because I, I've never run a marathon. I've eaten a marathon. I've never run one. Oh, I love marathons. They yeah. changed it and called them Snickers. But someone from Heads Together yeah. was like, do you want to run the marathon then? And she was like, are you going to run the marathon? I was like, I guess I'm going to run the marathon. I couldn't run for a bus. I'm like a 18 to 20 size, 18 to 20. But I realised I was kind of, kind of fed up with thinking of all the things I can't do. Like I, you know, my whole life was like I couldn't do a handstand. I couldn't get on the netball A team at school. You know, it was all of a sudden I'm like, well, what can I do? So I was like, I can sign up. I can, I can download Couch to 5K, and then I did that. And I was like, then I can download Couch to 10K. And then before I knew it, six months later, I was crossing the finish line of the marathon, and it was amazing and all sorts of fantastic things came out of it like I interviewed Prince Harry for my podcast about his mental health and but then afterwards I met this plus size model called Jada Cesar and she could not believe it that I'd run a marathon she was like it wasn't like she thought I was lying she was just like girls like us we're not allowed to run marathons are we and I'm like yeah no we are because it is painful with boobs well size, I don't know it? I've never I've never but isn't run it painful? without them oh, but is it painful with boobs no, you've got a really good bra I've got a really good sports yeah, bra yeah. and I said well I'll, let's see if we can get some places I'll take you around and so off <laughs> Matt like I, I've got the bug by then and I'd realised that exercise was not about losing weight. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't about the losses. It was about the gains. Mm. I was getting so much mental clarity. It was really helping my mental health. Yeah. And then I got sober and all of that jazz. So we were training and, and it was like 2000. It was the beginning of 2018. And it was um, the beast from the east. It was absolutely freezing. And I said, why don't we just do it in our underwear? Just to really make the point that we're all run- runners 
bodies come in all different shapes and sizes, but also because we don't see the textures of real bodies anymore. People just filter everything out. I love you know? this was a sober decision as well. This was a sober, this was a totally sober, sober decision. I also wanted to kind of reclaim my body that it wasn't just, it's not just about being attractive, you know? Like, fuck that shit. So my body has given birth I've got through alcoholism and addiction it's done all sorts of really cool things so we so we ran the marathon in our underwear and it was so fun and the the amount of people that ran up to us and were like oh yay well done you we couldn't do that we're ashamed of our bodies and I'm like your body that you're running a marathon with you know this shit is ingrained within us self-loathing you know we call it self-deprecation but it's not really it's like if I give you a compliment most women will turn it into an insult like oh I like your jacket oh yeah but I got it from Primark and it you know and it it shows off my bingo you know it's like whoa I just was being nice to you and and do you think that this is particular to women more than men I think look I'm sure it is I don't you know I can't get into the male brain but I know that it's completely if we are obsessing over our looks and what we don't have and what we need to do next you know it is there is a patriarchal thing behind this you know we're not spending our energy doing the shit that really matters and I people often say to me I wish I had your confidence and I don't have confidence but what I do have you know I have those thoughts every day as well it really do not have confidence no but I'm like anyone else like confidence but is when a trick. you took your clothes off to run naked well I wasn't naked I oh you know no sorry I, within I was... your knickers and bra okay when you took your clothes off to run in your, that that you've got to feel pretty well, confident I tell you what I have I don't have confidence and I have the same thoughts about my body as everyone else you know I'm as I said I'm a size 18 to 20 but what I do have is a desperate need not to waste any more of my energy hating on myself I'm done with it I'm Good. not going to do it anymore okay and I'm not going to play that game where I'm like I wish I could get rid of my chins or I'm not going to ch- every time someone takes a picture of me you know like oh let's get a picture I'm not going to go oh can I check that I'm not going to do it I'm just not going to do it like I don't need to filter myself I'm fine as I am I don't use filters on my Instagram someone said to me yeah, but what if it cheers you up what if it what if it's a little bit of and I was like I'm not going to get happiness out of being cheered up by making myself look like something I'm not does that make sense it totally does it completely and utterly t- t- happiness comes from the truth though doesn't it but, and it does and, and connecting back to who you truly truly are even that sometimes can be scary but deeply that is where it, it well, lies we learn, we learn in rehab that um, connection is the opposite of addiction and I just feel I don't want to be ashamed to be me anymore. You know, I have lived a life of so much shame. I was, when I got sober, I was dripping in shame. You know, it was like coursing through my veins. And shame is dangerous and shame keeps us unwell. It keeps us unhappy and it dies when you expose it to the light and you realise that everyone has these same feelings. And... I've also realised that most people are, you know, when we talk about imposter syndrome and everything, you know, we all have those feelings and it's okay to have those feelings, but I'm not going to let them, I'm not going to like jump on them, give them mouth to mouth and like breathe life into them. I'm like, I'm done. Like, and I don't want my daughter growing up thinking that she has an obligation to find bits of her body that she doesn't like. I think that line is just one of the best I've heard. Shame, it dies when you expose it to the light. That's, I think, one of the most powerful messages that we can give out to people. Yeah. When you have that feeling of, I can't tell someone this, or I feel this, you just open that up and expose it. And it is just the most beautiful feeling. I mean, I yeah. came to it late as well. You know, Even I remember vividly when I started to go into the public eye on TV, and yeah. I, I was living with my partner as a woman, and nobody asked me, because I'd been married to a guy, nobody asked me about my relationship. My friends said, yeah, keep it. 
quiet because <laughs> lesbians aren't very sexy. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> this was a time when there were not a lot of women open were in the pe- open chair. <laughs> I well, find was them terribly sexy. <laughs> <laughs> but it, in the public eye, there weren't very many mm. glamorous women, or that were seen as gay women who were out there going, "This is my life." So I thought, oh, bugger this. I'll go to the worst bastard paper and I'll tell them my story. So the next interview I did the Daily Mail, I went, yes, I'll tell it all. And, you know, I thought, if I tell you openly, you can't put, well, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't do it. You can't, you can't do, do it. Do then the news of the world picked it up and the headline was Mary, Queen of Shocks. Oh, Shocks, Brownie. But it is, if you, t- you've got to own, own your own stuff. It. But it's interesting. And I, I write a lot about kind of sexual, you know, like as women as well, I think from a young age, we, like I remember feeling really ashamed at like when I discovered masturbation at like 11 and I just was like, wow, this is amazing. And then like, oh, and then I felt really ashamed of it. And then I felt ashamed of all the, like I was like, I felt ashamed of all the things I wanted Jordan from New Kids on the Block to do to me. And then I felt ashamed that occasionally I might fantasize about, a wo- you know what I mean? Like, Woman and there and is the, a whole new generation. Like sometimes my daughter's like, I cannot believe that she'd be with their friends and they just go blow off. And I, <laughs> I can't believe they don't give a hoot. They blow off in front of each other. They talk about masturbation, and I love that. Yeah. I mean, that was a real move on from my but generation. We are, we are so taught. Good. We were taught yeah, to be to. quite ashamed of, of our course. bodies. Like from the moment, like I love it. Like we don't talk about periods. Then we don't. We don't talk. We're not supposed to talk about periods when we get them. We're not supposed to get, talk about periods when we stop getting them. And what that teaches you is to be a bit ashamed of your body at its core and and I remember feeling like it wasn't like those terms like I was never I couldn't I couldn't vocalise what gave me pleasure because I was ashamed of it and my body became all about giving other people pleasure I mean it's bullshit isn't it one of the things that you talk about you talk about your mum a strong feminist who kind of built your confidence well even though you've got none that you say but nevertheless <laughs> there must <laughs> no, have been no something confidence. It's a, it's a, it's a... I have a bit of confidence and I, I and people find that when I say that they go oh and I do, but it's taken me a long time. Yeah, no, I do. And have, I'm a yeah. lot older, yes. And there's things where you just know, I know this, and I am this. And when you are really, I always quote Oprah when she said, when you're really connected to your inner vibration. But there is something so true of that. Mm. And it can come at the most menial, small times, those mm. trivial times, like literally cleaning the sink the other mm. day. And I was just in my space waiting for my kids to come back from one from work one from uni and I was cleaning the sink and I felt like I could have done anything in the world because I was just connected to something that was true mm. now if I had said that in an interview these top business women who tell you that they've done whatever as I talk about before 8am in the morning they've done their yoga and spoken their Mandarin Chinese and had a, <laughs> a conference call and had the eight children put out no mine was cleaning the sink and I got it just that right I got the coffee stains out and I was so happy Well, that's but and I was waiting and I was confident well, it's the, who I but was. these are the things that these are the, it's the little things that we have to find joy in. Not that like yes, that's why I always think you know, when you get to the end of the year and people are like, what have I achieved this year? I'm like, wow, there was this one time that my daughter told me she hated me and I didn't lose my shit. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then there was another time <laughs> that I sat with my feelings for two minutes. Take that, you know, like I should have become an Avenger. That's my superpower. I'm like, these are the little things that make me feel magic. But there is that great thing, isn't it? The Buddhists do, you know, writing or thinking each day when you wake up what you're grateful for. 
Yeah, know? we do. Yeah. I do that with my I daughter. Do. We play I do. the grateful. How old is she now? Six. Oh, fabulous! So Horatia. I love that age. Yeah. yeah. What am I grateful for? And it's just the most gorgeous, simple she things. Says, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Mommy. No, that's right. Shut up, mummy. <laughs> yeah, true. And I go, no, we're going to find something. <laughs> you, you had a huge respect for your mother, a strong feminist. But when it came to her own work, that wasn't the case. This confidence was it? You look. Tell me about that, and because uh, and, you would have seen this, the, the messages was, that we get at this age. I mean, she was just always very anxious that she was going to be kind of usurped or something. It felt what like did she do? A bit like Game of Thrones. She was, she's a journalist. Mm. I remember that sort of... She never had confidence, ever. She, but she was successful. She was successful, yeah. But she, I, she'd always say things like, I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid, you know, I'm pathetic, mm. I'm useless. You know, you hear stuff like, kids are sponges. Mm. I always say, don't trash talk yourself. Just mm. don't do it. Like, mm. you know, and I say it to her still now. She's like, oh, she's like, I'm like, you've just lost your car keys. You're not, you're not a pathetic failure of a human being. Mm. But you, from the way she talks about herself, you'd think she was. Don't trash talk is so good, isn't don't it? Don't trash talk yourself. Like, it's not... Because the thing I have learned, and it's taken me a long time to learn, is that all the dumb decisions I've made in my life, and I've made a hell of a lot of them, have come from a place of low self-esteem or no self-esteem. Of course. And all the good ones I've made and continue to make are from not wanting to do myself down anymore. You will make every good decision you make in your life from having self-esteem. And we need to build it, not like do it down, which is what I feel like sometimes we are... So on that, condition to do. It's a lot of other women that do that. So in my book, Work Like a Woman, I talk Mm. about the you know the female and the feminine um, core values and and the way that we are, which I believe is very powerful, and I believe will be the next power. It's coming Mm. through. We, We it is the movement is coming, but, but, the alpha women, the women who perform and put other women down. I, I find it a mystery mm. that women do this. I find it a mystery that you'd want to suppress women anyway. But when other women do it to other women, I actually find that just repellent. Talk to me about situations where you've seen that or what you would say to other women in business. Or, I know I would well, say I, now. I saw a lot of that, a lot of that in my 20s yes. working in newspapers. And it was repellent. The funny thing is, is some of those women... <laughs> Now are like emailing me and like hi Bryony, I was just wondering if you do this thing for me. So, <laughs> so I had one who did this to me when I was twenty six, and I was on this trajectory, just like you know, I found my groove, and she bullied me mm. terribly. I bumped into her last Christmas with my kids going off to the theatre and she couldn't wait to introduce me to the family, embrace me. And my daughter, oh, who was that? I said, someone I work with. I was like that, to a grizzly teeth. And I wish I'd have been able to say, <laughs> sorry. I have an element of, I have the, I have a real element of sympathy because I feel like they're just doing what they've learned. You know? Yes. And so... I, so what I, should we say to them? Come on, Brandy, what should we say to those women? It doesn't have to be like this. There's yes. space for more than one woman. Yeah. And I, I would say this just generally, like, you don't have to be a certain way. Stop comparing yourself to other people. You know, people talk about feeling less than. I always felt I was too much. Oh, same and here. You know that oh. thing where I was like, I'm too oh, much. Oh, God, and, yeah. I have to diminish myself because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. on the chat. Like, you're, you're loud, you're big, and yeah, you're like... No, but be you. Sensitive, quiet, be strong you. one. Because, no. the, mo- because the, most, the most powerful thing you can be when you grow up is yourself. And it's the thing you'll be most successful at as well. I can guarantee you that. And... 
Some people are like bedside lamps and some people are floodlights, yeah? And both of them are really serve really, really important roles. Like, I cannot read in bed at night, which I do every night without a bedside lamp, but nor can I go and see, like, Taylor Swift in concert without a floodlight. And on that note's where we stop. I would not go to see Taylor Swift in well, concert Beyonce. with a floodlight or not. But Brian e. Gordon, listen, you've just come up with some incredible things. Any young women, any women listening today to this, we've got to. I love shame. It dies when you expose it to the light you know that feeling that you get where you just feel hot inside and you just want to implode mm. don't open it up right brownie and whether it's a light a lampside bedside light or a floodlight yeah. that light will help you just be follow you. it don't trash talk yourself oh my gosh it's so easy to fall into that and think that you're sounding vulnerable to other people when no. you're actually just pushing yourself down don't and stop comparing yourself to others be you because it's the most unique thing you've got brownie gordon that was fantastic Thank you for joining me Thank today. Thank you for having me, Mary. When you're true to yourself, that is honestly when your greatest flow comes through. And the minute even Bryony had to go to her truthful, painful, dark self that she wanted to hide is actually where she found her power. And yet, that is the thing that we're most scared of because of the constructs and the and the value systems that get put on us. This social edit that's yeah. so young. Because we're always trying to be what we think other people want us to be. And you'd never think that other people want us to be full of shame or like revealing our shame and our inner darkness. That does not feel like a natural path, does it? You'd never feel like you could reveal all that shit. Have you ever had to reveal anything? Yeah. Go on. I sort of, you know, how, so Bryony called it her coming out tongue-in-cheek when she said about her mental health I think my my moment was when I was I was 26 and and realized that I'd married too young and had to sort of admit to myself that I wasn't living the life that felt right to me it didn't feel true to me and me sort of coming out and sort of saying this isn't who I am and it was really painful because you have to tell the people really close to you that you're not this person they think that they think you are so you you feel like you're a liar but you're not you're you're almost kind of you're masking you don't want to hurt the people that love you so even though you're not lying, it does feel like that. And you feel, because you feel like you're lying, you feel full of shame and you feel really upset. And it's just, it's awful. And I definitely had that moment. And, but once you come out of it and you are connected to yourself, there's nothing like it. I mean, well, I you was- You went through really catastrophic change. You, oh, totally. You, you actually were ill, weren't you? you yeah, know, yeah, you were, I, had, physically I had Ill physically Ill. I had meningitis and I was really poorly for quite some time. And once I came out of it, after about a year or two, once I started to feel better, I was, and I moved to London, I'm smiling because I was so insufferably happy. <laughs> the pure, like the, the joy that was radiating out of me when I began what I knew was my new life. It, I was insufferable. I remember texting my best friend, just going, "You won't be able to come near me. Like it's so anno- I'm so annoyingly happy." Oh, it's so and, it, and I'd never experienced that ever. That's so beautiful. Yeah, but it's because I was being true to myself. Yeah, I was the same. Well, no, I, you know, when I fell in love with a woman and you yeah. had to say, well, no, I haven't lived a life. This is just something that's just happened to me. Yeah. And, you know, I, even now, when you look 16, 17 years ago before gay marriage, that was a big thing. There Huge. was no yeah. gay women in the public eye. Sandy Toxic was one. What a great woman. Um, <laughs> but there wasn't anybody I could even talk to about it. They had children who I knew were a yeah. gay woman. And it was just this complete minefield of how do you do this? But once you were open about it and said, look, this is... I, this is what's happened to me and this is what I'm feeling yeah. and this is where I feel vulnerable and this is what I'm scared about and these are my fears for my children or whatever the love absolutely the love, the, yeah. the love is incredible and the yes. connections the people that I have connected with since I'm now my true self those relationships are so much more meaningful to mm. me 
and I love those people so much more. Mm. And there's nothing against the people I've knew, I knew from before, but they weren't loving a, the version of me that I truly was. Mm. So and that's the same with work, isn't it? Yeah. There'll be businesses that you're in and you know that that business isn't connecting with who you truly exactly. are and making you joyful. So please, anyone who's listening, it's not you. It's just not you. <laughs> we all get put into positions in life that just aren't us. And finding us is where our true power is. Exactly. And what a better example than Bryony. <laughs> so let's listen to the gospel from Mary Portas. Yeah, well, I, I'd love to think I'm writing a bit of gospel, uh, <laughs> but I'm not as good as these people. Maya Angelou. I don't know if I continue, even today, always liking myself. But what I learned to do many years ago was to forgive myself. It is very important for every human being to forgive herself or himself because if you live, of course you're going to make mistakes. It's inevitable. But once you do and you see the mistake, then you forgive yourself and you say, well, if I'd have known better, I'd have done better. That's all. So you say to people who you think you may have injured, I'm sorry. And then you say to yourself, I'm sorry. If we all hold on to the mistake, we can't see our own glory in the mirror because we have that mistake between our faces in the mirror. We can't see what we're capable of being. And you can ask forgiveness of others, but in the end, the real forgiveness is oneself. We'll see you in the autumn. I won't miss you, Bryce Perkins. <laughs> You bloody will. No, I won't, because I'll be closed next to you at the desk when I come back. I know what's <laughs> yeah, we've got to do some real work now. <laughs> we've got to get back to the day job. <laughs>